Hey, it's Lovett, and I'm on my way to your city. And by on my way, I mean I'm still in the shower, but still, about to head out. Love It or Leave It Live on Tour is heading all over the country. We'll be in Charlotte, Asheville, Boston, Madison, Chicago, and Pittsburgh. And if we're not coming to your city this time, I'm sorry, the country is too big. Take it up with the pioneers. To learn more and get tickets, head to crooked.com slash events. Welcome to the 23rd episode of Love It or Leave It Back in the Closet. That song was sent in by Levi Phillips, and uh, Levi, you've outdone yourself. I played the song, and then I said, uh, Ronan, you have to hear this. And he said, I heard it in a way that said, it's good, but don't play the song about yourself again, please. (laughs) Uh, We want to use a new song each week, so if you want to make one, you can send it to us. We have a new address just for Love it or leave it because we were getting a lot of incoming at that other address. So send us an email with your song at leave it at crooked.com, L-E-A-V-E-I-T at crooked.com, leave it at crooked.com. That's our new address just for the show. You can send a song, you can send an idea, uh, any thoughts uh, you have really generally, uh, complaints uh, about um, other things that aren't the show, whatever you want. Also, The DNC, the Democratic National Convention, starts this Monday, and you can watch every night live with us at crooked.com slash convention. You can watch the convention live. We will do it with commentary from me, John, Dan, Tommy, and some of our uh, pals in the group thread. Uh, In the past, I know that sometimes group thread, we haven't been able to show you, say, a debate because of copyright and stuff, but we have the feed now, so you can watch live with us the speeches, the floor. There's no floor, but you know, you can watch the convention with us, which will be great. And before the final night on Thursday, before Joe Biden accepts the nomination, we'll be doing a live Pod Save America convention pre-show starting at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern at crooked.com slash convention. That's where all that will be. All right. Later in the show, we'll be joined by Alyssa Mastromonaco to talk about the VP selection. And Ben Rhodes joins to break down a big week in foreign policy and to talk about his new podcast. But first, she is a co-host of the podcast Best Friends, and you can watch her stand-up special Pizza Mind on Amazon Prime, Stars on Demand, and listen on iTunes and Spotify. A lot of platforms. Welcome back. (laughs) All those platforms. So Shira's Ameda. Hello. Oh, so many platforms. If you have a platform, you can consume <laughs> my content. I I just want you to know that I have been really enjoying, I've been going back to old episodes of Best Friends oh. because it's nice to listening to people just live their lives having no idea what's coming. <laughs> like oh there's gosh. just the pre-virus just like, you know, let's go to a restaurant. Oh, we were in Europe. There's just no... <laughs> I know. We did an episode with Matea Lane in Canada for, it was like a live just for last performance. And we were like making fun of Naomi Campbell for how much she prepares for a flight. Like she's wearing gloves and goggles, like a hazmat suit. And she's spraying everything down. How crazy. And then fast forward really just a few months. And then everyone else is doing the same thing. Look, you don't get diamonds from Charles Taylor by not taking care of shit and making sure you're safe. You know what I mean? You got to get those diamonds. Yes. You got to make sure you're safe. Um, All right. Well, Sashir has graciously agreed to join for the monologue where I will tell some jokes and she can like them, hate them, comment on them, ignore them. Many options. We'll see. So let's get into it. What a week. Uh, Let's start off with the big one. No, not the massive earthquake that I lay awake expecting to happen every night now that the San Andreas Fault is like, hey, remember me? I don't care how bad it is. I can do whatever I want whenever I want. Uh, no, uh, Joe, that's like a pre-joke sentence. Uh, now Joe Biden... 
It's like not even, there's nowhere to even comment. It's just a, just yeah. a thought exercise. <laughs> Semicolon and then separate. Here's a separate thing. <laughs> no, Joe Biden made the biggest decision of the presidential campaign when he selected Senator Kamala Harris to be his running mate. Kamala Harris becomes the first black woman and the first Indian American to be on a major party ticket. It's historic, said Gretchen Whitmer, before she faded like Michael J. Fox in that Back to the Future photo. <laughs> oh, man. It does need to be said, but it's just so funny to be like, can you believe the first? And it's like, oh, duh. Like, I don't, of course. Yes. I honestly thought she was the first. <laughs> Wom- or like, I guess we've had women. I can't believe there's only been three Four? It's, well, there have been, right, three VPs, four if, if you include Hillary Clinton at the top of the ticket. Yeah. So there's been four women on a major ticket. It's so crazy. There's been so many presidents. So many. And some of them have been so bad. So bad. <laughs> yeah, we've had really, really bad men. <laughs> and yeah, we can't terrible. Get just some women? Yeah, we've been giving everybody a multiple choice test between two men uh, every four years. And they've gotten it wrong about half the time. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> at least. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, this is a monumental moment in American history and an important moment for the Biden campaign. Kamala not only brings energy and enthusiasm to the ticket, but she also will be available to apologize on behalf of Joe Biden at a moment's notice. And, you know, women are great at that. Apologizing? <laughs> Notoriously. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Kamala is a strong pick for a few reasons. She fought the big banks during the mortgage crisis. She joined Bernie Sanders and Ed Markey to introduce the monthly economic crisis support act, which will provide $2,000 a month to every American for the entirety of the pandemic. She has fought for free masks and tests for every American. And she has a husband named Doug. (laughs) Thank God. That's what we need. (laughs) Doug, look. Doug is going to go through a sex symbol phase, all right? It's you think coming. so? Absolutely. 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 Whoa. I think the first week of September, right before Labor Day, there's a little bit of a lull. How's mm-hmm. Twitter going to fill it? It's going to have the hots <laughs> for Kamala Harris's husband, Doug. Doug. Have you met a Doug in real life? Have I met a Doug? I've met this Doug. Oh, okay. That's one. And and I could barely keep my hands off of him. <laughs> Dirty Doug. I was like, get me out of here. (laughs) (laughs) I can't be in the same room with this Doug. I'm freaking. I guess I haven't really thought about Doug that much. (laughs) I gotta gotta go relook at some pictures. I definitely saw that video of him dancing uh, at a parade or something like that. And I was like, okay. She picked someone with some rhythm. That's good. (laughs) The Trump campaign seems at a loss for how to attack Kamala, announcing that she is not only a radical leftist, but also too centrist, a corporate comp who moonlights for Antifa. They had months to work on this. It's as if they had a weekly show and they waited up until seconds before it began to work on the jokes, which Wait, I think is great. Are you talking about your are you I might be talking about this. <laughs> Can you tell that these, some of these may have been finessed <laughs> moments ago? I can tell. Yeah. I can tell. I still can't believe you started with the earthquake and then pivoted to a hard pivot to Biden. <laughs> Not even an easy shift. Just like, oh, here's no, just, this separate subject. No, just uh, uh, definitely, yeah, just uh, put up a sign. This is a dangerous curve. Uh, <laughs> trucks do not often make it. It's it's very dangerous. It was a really hard turn. Uh, meanwhile. Marjorie Taylor Greene, a QAnon supporter, won her GOP primary runoff in Georgia and will most likely be elected to the House of Representatives. It seems like she probably couldn't have won such a high-profile race, however, without at least some support from the globalist child sex ring led by living JFK Jr. Oh, this is a QAnon? Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> I feel like the twist there is, oh, she was actually supported by, by a living <laughs> JFK Jr. Mm-hmm. I put. A, I had a. I had a really fight for living JFK Jr. <laughs> There's just a lot packed into that one punchline. I guess is that if a punchline? If you could call it that. If you could call it that. <laughs> if it's any consolation, uh, this was a Republican primary in Georgia, so it's not like the alternative was great. She wasn't running against Mitt Romney. Uh, her opponent was like, "Stop talking about Pizzagate. We got to focus on making sure no one tears down this statue of an enslaved person, giving Robert E. Lee a thumbs up." See, now that's, it is a joke, but it just makes me sad. Like, because yeah, it's like very real. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty dark. <laughs> Here's the thing. I've become so desensitized 
like the world exists in a tiny box mm-hmm. and I can just put different windows. Sometimes I can put a Golden Girls window up. Yeah. Sometimes a virus. Sometimes uh, racist protesters. Sometimes we'll throw on a season two episode of Seinfeld just to see what's going on there. Yeah. And I will just tell you that uh, yesterday Ronan referred to early seasons Jerry Seinfeld as Twink Seinfeld. And I can't get it out of my mind. I, I mean, yeah. That was a very svelte, <laughs> spry Seinfeld. And, and as a kid, he was an older person. But now I realize he was younger than me oh. in those episodes. So that's a journey I'm on. How old was he? Like early, mid-30s. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. So that's something I'm experiencing. You know, sunrise, sunset. Oh, good for him. Kind of a deal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll keep going. <laughs> This week, Donald Trump doubled down on his assault on the post office, admitting he's doing it to stop votes from being counted. This happened the same day it was announced that the Postal Service would be shutting off mail sorting machines ahead of the election. And then right before we recorded, news broke that Brad Perscale, Trump's former campaign manager, had snuck into Cliff Clavin's home and slit his throat. I mean, I'm not surprised. He said, here... I'm not surprised by any of this. (laughs) Here, Mr. Trump, I bring you the head of Cliff Clavin. I can't believe Trump admitted that. Yeah, he just said it. I mean, I guess I can believe. He just, he doesn't care. He's like, I'm untouchable. I've done this much so far. What are you going to do to me? His move has often been to just say, the tell the truth, you know, in his convoluted, hard to follow way, but just tell the truth on television because there are things that he's tweeted that if a journalist had been able to like uncover it in a secret memo would be like a huge scandal. But because like so much of our like kind of culture around the news is built around like if you have to discover something incriminating people don't just say something incriminating he like skips the like dramatic crescendo of like catching him yeah you know it's like like if nixon like early on in watergate like had gone to the cameras and be like they broke into the watergate to help me win it would have been so boring by the time bob woodward and and carl got around to it yeah it's like it's not a scandal it's like well i guess he just owned up to it so it's not new anymore good for him at least he's honest (laughs) I just can't stand these phonies. Yeah, not talking about all their scandals. (laughs) President Trump also signed a coronavirus relief executive action to halt evictions, claiming it would take care of pretty much this entire situation. But the text only asked federal agencies to consider if a temporary halt to evictions might be a good idea. Uh, This is a momentous historic document right up there with the recommendation of independence and the emancipation insinuation. (laughs) I like that. That's funny. (laughs) Thanks, Ashir. Also, like, it kind of was an emancipation insinuation. Yeah. Not everybody got freed as soon as that got signed. Right. It took a while still. Yeah. It took years. 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 Yeah. Yeah. So. Because, right, because Juneteenth marks the fact that it took years for it to take, to reach Texas. Yeah, like two years. And then they were like, someone said, oh, by the way, hey, you guys are free. Did you know? So this is like one of those things where like, you know, how like if you meet somebody and they tell you their name and then you don't remember it and then you know them for a really long time and it's too late to find out the name and you're not really, you're afraid to ask them their name. This is a little bit like that, in that, like, we should have told you this so many years ago, and now we just feel so weird about it. Yeah. The masters were like, oh, God, it's like too, it's like so awkward. I should have said it like (laughs) weeks ago. It's just better to keep them on my plantation. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so sorry. I'm just so sorry. (laughs) In In Florida. Marion County Sheriff Bill Woods banned his deputies from wearing masks while working and banned visitors from wearing masks at the sheriff's office. He wrote in an email, the fact is the amount of professionals that give the reason why we should, I can find the exact same amount of professionals that say why we shouldn't. It makes you think like how if a doctor says you need surgery to remove a tumor, but a dietitian who once worked with Gwyneth and who took an online course in probiotics after a career in mixed media sculpture didn't work out says you only need a low FODMAP diet, you can just pick the one you like the most. Yeah. This is uh, literally the kind of thinking that killed Steve Jobs, and now none of the chords make sense. Wait, what do you mean? Well, because Steve Jobs like had cancer, and he didn't like the recommendation from the doctors he was he's meeting in the US. So we went to a kind of like guru oh, shit. who was like, here, have this uh, lemon water and just sort of meditate. And now my computer can barely plug into my phone. <laughs> <laughs> and it affects us all. <laughs> Damn it, Steve. <laughs> Come on, Steve. 
Come on, trust, <laughs> trust, trust, the, trust medical journals. <laughs> Maybe me. then, what's a lightning cord, USB-C? Come on, man, we needed you. Yeah. <laughs> also this week, Andrew Lloyd Webber volunteered to get an experimental COVID vaccine, saying he would do anything to prove that theaters could open safely. Here's hoping that the COVID antibodies don't make Sir Andrew Lloyd Webber their jellical choice. Oh, no. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm about to tell you the worst thing I've ever written down. Ready? Ready. What if this experimental vaccine leaves a Jesus Christ super scar? Okay, that is really bad. I can see why you thought that was maybe good, but it's really bad. It's really bad. Do you have more? This actually is exciting. Uh, on Wednesday, Los Angeles Mayor Eric Garcetti revealed the city's plan to accelerate development of a $10 at-home COVID test. So you're saying I could get three COVID tests or watch the live-action Mulan on Disney Plus? <laughs> I think I know what I'm going to pick. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to stay home for weeks <laughs> and enjoy this Mulan movie. That is great. $30 is a lot of money, though. Yeah. When the it's whole service is like twenty bucks. Yeah, it's a lot of money. I guess it's. Uh, I guess you, they're just really, really relying on those kids to hold their parents hostage. And they will. And they'll get that. They'll get their Mulan. They'll get their yeah. Mulan. Yeah. And I hope they do. I hope they do. And I hope they do. The Big Ten Sports Conference voted this week to postpone their college football season to spring of 2021, saying they are prioritizing the health and wellness of their student athletes and do not want to risk anyone getting the coronavirus and an incurable head injury. <laughs> Is that what they actually said? Or this is a joke. No, that's a joke. I see. They don't care about the injury part. No, that's they want to make sure that there's no virus in the way of. Mm, I see. I see. I the see. terrible toll of this this game. That yeah. Uh, you know. I tell you what, if they really cared about their student athletes, they'd pay them. They'd fucking pay them. It's crazy. It is crazy. It's crazy that the coaches make like. I just don't understand what it's like to have like like the you know they have what do you call it their halftime. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's I what it's that. called. You know, one of those. One of those half times, yeah. you know, <laughs> and they all go in the locker room and the coach like gives them a pep talk. Like at some point be like, I'm sorry, you want me to work harder? That's this is a this is an moment where you who made a hundred thousand dollars today mm-hmm. think I am not giving it my all. Yeah. And like, look, some of these guys are better than me. Like yeah. they go on to other things. I'm just a person with a fake degree in communications when this is done. Oh, my God. Yeah. All those people who are just like trying for this dream and then get injured and then what do you get from that no endorsement deals yeah nothing nobody's putting you in a split screen nike commercial where half of you is megan rapino no yeah. that doesn't happen no. for you no <laughs> yeah thank god they're not forcing them to get corona yeah they <laughs> in should addition pay to not paying them uh, also this week herman cain tweeted two weeks after dying from the coronavirus hmm hydroxychloroquine it's pretty amazing it's pretty good stuff <laughs> It brings him back from the dead. It brought him back. It brought him back. Vladimir Putin announced that Russia would be approving a coronavirus vaccine without finishing the proper clinical trials. There is no scientific proof that this vaccine is safe or even works, and it was immediately administered to Andrew Lloyd Webber. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take anything. Please. Open the theaters. <laughs> it's not worth it. Like, yeah. Yeah, he'll be the... It's okay. Keep pumping stuff into this guy. He'll be the phantom of the... Uh, uh. Of the uh, opera. <laughs> oh. oh, that was just the actual title. That's it. You didn't even try to change it. <laughs> hey, uh, you know, he uh, after he got the coronavirus vaccine, he fell down and hit his head. It gave him a real phantom of the bopera. <laughs> Jesus. Okay. It's... I'm so sorry. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, you put me on the spot. I didn't have anything. I had nothing. I had nothing. Okay, I'm glad you tried. I'll tell you, though, speaking of Andrew Lloyd Webber, uh, given everything that's been going on, we really all got to make sure we evota. <laughs> I could have moved on. I'm doing Yeah, this. I didn't even... Like, it was just worse than the Bopra. Hey, this mail is coming so slowly, it's more like Starlight Local. <laughs> is this one of those things where you, it gets worse and then you think it's going to, like, go back up? Like, you think it's going to get, like... <laughs> I actually, here's the thing, I don't. I don't <laughs> think this gets better. <laughs> I just can't stop. All right, I'm going to end it. I'll end it. All right, I'll do two more jokes and then let, let you go back to a life that doesn't involve this. 
Kanye West had a private meeting with Jared Kushner last week. People are worried this is about Kanye's presidential bid, but I'm worried it's about an album. Oh my God. <laughs> Pass the Kushner. That's good. That's good. That That's good. good. It's not nothing. It's not nothing. It's, star. it's not nothing. Or maybe he's just trying to get him some Yeezys. He's the new uh, Yeezy model. Do they come in uh, nine and a half super narrow? <laughs> just su- slithery. <laughs> just very, very narrow. Very narrow. <laughs> and finally this week, Cardi B and Meg Thee Stallion dropped an explosive new single titled WAP, a body positive summer empowerment jam that stands for Withered Ailing Penis. I want you to know something. Okay. I want you to know something. Okay. I can prove that there was an argument about this joke in which I said, I don't want to say this out loud. I'm glad you were on the right side of history. Cause... Travis, turn your damn camera on and you apologize to Shashir for making me say this fucking shit. We oh, can go. Shit. I think Google Docs retains a lot of data. <laughs> it's just, how dare you? How dare you bring a penis into this beautiful, empowering anthem for women? I'm so upset. <laughs> so Sheer Zaveda, thank you so much for joining us. I'm such a huge fan. And uh, for everybody listening, check out her special. Check out, if you want just a, a soothing balm of wonderful friendship in a dark time, I recommend Aww. Best Friends, Sashir and Nicole yeah. Byer. It is a delight to listen to, yeah. and I highly recommend. So Shashir, thank oh, you so much. Oh, I also have a movie coming out. Oh, you should look, it watch us. that. It's called Spree. It's a thriller, and it's out tomorrow. So whenever this comes out, wow, it'll be out already uh, on video on demand. So check it out. Check out Spree. Sashir Zamira, yeah. thank you so much. Thank you. Good to see you. Good to see you, too. Thanks to Sashir for joining us. When we come back, Alyssa Mastromonaco, returning champion, of course, joins to talk about the selection of Senator Kamala Harris to join Joe Biden on the ticket. Hey, don't go anywhere. There's more of Love It or Leave It coming up. All right, people, we all know the stakes of the 2024 election are high, whether it's keeping the Senate, taking back the House, or stopping Republicans at the state level. If you're ready to make a real difference, sign up for Vote Save America's 2024 volunteer program. And just to make it interesting, we're pitting you against each other. Vote Save America will sort you onto a team east or west, and you'll compete with a community of other volunteers to maximize your impact on the ground with opportunities tailored to you and the causes you care about. The team with the highest volunteering staff could secure the biggest prize of all, the continuation of American democracy. Head to votesaveamerica.com slash 2024 now and get ready to organize or else. This message has been paid for by Vote Save America. You can learn more at votesaveamerica.com, and this ad has not been authorized by any candidate or candidate's committee. And we're back. She is the co-host of Hysteria, and That's the Ticket, a three-part series about choosing a vice president, which you can hear on the Pod Save America feed anytime you want. It's there right now. They did a great wrap-up episode today on Pod Save America, the main Pod Save America, the mothership. Please welcome back Alyssa Mastromonaco. John Lovett, you're gorgeous. No, you're gorgeous. Thank you. We're both gorgeous. So uh, let's talk about it. We're here. You know, we, you were, you were uh, walking us through the process all along. Now it's happened. Joe Biden selected Senator Kamala Harris to be his VP pick. Obviously, we're, we're all very excited. I want to hear what you think about the announcement itself. How do you think they did at a time when there were so many challenges to rolling this out? You know, in previous eras, VP picks have been smuggled true. <laughs> in vehicles. Uh, How do you think it went? So let's just give them credit off the bat. It did not leak. People found out, Americans found out who he picked from the Biden campaign. So that is a huge win for them. Good for them. Especially since they had 11 women that were under consideration. And he started calling the women earlier that day. So it's like, you know, I give them tons of credit for that. I didn't get my text message that I signed up for dutifully. But like technology sucks. I mean, Joe was writing them as fast as he could. He was <laughs> writing them as fast as he could. One at a time. It's a lot of people. <laughs> of course, I'm the one who didn't even remember that we used text messages on the Obama campaign. So I'm not really your, your finger in the wind there. Mm-hmm. Then they did their event. And a couple things. One, the ad that they released with Kamala where Joe Biden is 
asking Kamala if she wants to be the vice president, I thought was super charming and adorable. And things yeah. can really be poorly done when you're trying to be cute and charming. And so, like, good for them. Sure. Um, sure. The event yesterday <laughs> was good. Because you know, I'm such a, I can be a real dick when it comes to events. Like, I'm very. Well, this is, listen, I get it. I I, this is why I wanted to ask. Dick. And so. You have, no, you're, you have high standards. I do. I do. And so, you know, when we did That's the Ticket, I had really lofty ideas for what I would want to do if I were them. And they didn't ask me, even though I basically sent out the bat signal. But that's fine. Good for them. I thought that they might have gone with. <laughs> Like a big picture. Do you know what I mean? Like Biden and Kamala and Battery Park, Statue of Liberty behind, make this whole like 360. The first thing Trump did was kick immigrants out of this country and he, we're here to restore the soul of America. They didn't. I get it. You can't make the perfect the enemy of the good. The w most important thing out of yesterday was that they appear together, right? We wanted to see them together for the first time and they did. And so I thought that was good. Kamala's speech, the thing that I was most impressed about by Kamala was that she thrived without an audience. Like, I was really blown away by the fact that I couldn't tell if there were people in front of her or not. She genuinely was emotive and great. I would say maybe without audiences, Joe Biden's speeches should be just like a little shorter. Yeah, just I agree a little. with that. Just a I little shorter. That. Yeah, and yeah. that's not a judgment. This is not, th you know, thriving and flourishing and giving an important speech in front of essentially an empty room in a black box is not easy. But that would just, that would be my little, little bit of feedback. I thought they both did well given the circumstances of not having a big crowd. I agree that Biden's speech, I was like, oh, this, let's get to, there's a main event here. It was a bit, I, I get it though, because they, it was an opportunity to deliver a message right. uh, for a captive audience of uh, national political reporters who would be watching, who would be covering, would be on television. So I get that. Seeing Kamala speak, it was a good, it, first of all, it was a great speech, but also it um, it reminded me why Kamala is a good pick. Like you really yeah. see her in that moment. And what I always have been struck by with Kamala Harris is I learned a term from sports and I'm going to say it and it's going to sound wrong coming from me. I'm just going to say it. Okay. Yeah. It's a, apparently something called the clutch gene. Didn't know. Learn something I've new. heard it. I've heard it. But but I've heard it from other people. I've heard it from straight people. Um, but every time Kamala Harris is in a big hearing moment, every time she was in a debate where she had to like really deliver in that speech this week, she just closes. Mm -hmm. She just comes and she brings it. And she had such passion and intensity and delivered those lines so well. So it made me see like, oh, I... I see why she is going to be a formidable part of this ticket. I mean, look, there are four people now uh, uh, on the ballot. Trump, Biden, Pence, Kamala Harris. Kamala Harris is a great speaker mm -hmm. and a great person at delivering a message. And it is nice that there is a person who can do that. I agree. No, I, I got to say that in a nicer way. I got to say that. And, no, and I, I think that's great. It's a compliment to Kamala. It's a compliment to Kamala. I'm not saying anything about any of the others. But it's great that we have that person who can deliver that message. I agree. And, you know, the one thing that I did want to say, because like I said, I can be a dick, is that when we were in the White House, when we first got to the White House, there would be like old school Clinton folks who, you know, had been there in the 90s. And they would go on television and say how like our events were not imaginative and that we didn't do things like take the president to the Grand Canyon to sign legislation. And the truth is they had not been president post 9-11, right? Nobody, like the Bush administration understood, we understood, there are different constraints. So that's why, even though in my DNA, it is to be a bit of a dick about events, I do not know how hard it is to do what they are doing. So I caveat my dickishness. <laughs> I also thought today they did a coronavirus yeah. briefing that looked great. You know, it's, yep. I, I, I just think that they're truly grappling with these completely new problems and trying to figure out how to make nice looking events when there are all these constraints and seeing them at those sort of desks across from each other. Yeah. Like if you stop and think about it for your second, you're like, where are we? What is happening? But it looks great. And it looks, 
it really has infused, I think just in these last 48 hours, Kamala Harris being part of this ticket has just infused their campaign with some energy, with a great message delivery apparatus. Not just that Kamala Harris is a great messenger, but that together there is a message, the two of them side by side, right. uh, that just works on television, uh, works in this moment. So that, that has gotten me really exciting. And you believe they're enjoying themselves, right? Like they're enjoying yeah. their, their partnership out of the gate, basically. Yeah. Uh, how long do you think until Doug is a sex symbol? <laughs> Haven't you seen the Jewish t- tabloids? I think I read forward.com that said he's sexy Jewish dad. He's hot Jewish dad. It's already starting. It's already starting. Uh, who can blame people? He's very charismatic. So as we... <laughs> uh, so, uh, you know, Trump kind of had a meandering attack. They really don't seem to know how to attack Kamala just yet, though I'm sure they'll get their shit together at some point. But they, they seem to want to say that she's sort of a corporate cop, but also a leftist member of Antifa. Right. How do you see any weaknesses emerging of Senator Harris on the ticket? You know, I think it's interesting because like we, I mean, you know better than anyone, they had so much time, Trump and Pence yeah. and his flunkies, that is. They had so much time to come up with something that you're like, is this honestly the best they can do? Like, I was hoping for something a little better. Like, just something to give us fodder to talk about. But nasty? Mean? <laughs> what? Like, slow Joe and phony Kamala? I feel like, you know, the one thing that was good about Biden picking Kamala is that she went through, like, 540 primary debates. She, you know, had been on all the nightly shows. She's been on the comedy shows. She's been on the talk shows. Like she's done it all. Like she's pretty well known. And the Trump folks had all this time to come up with something better. So I'm not really sure. Like painting her as both Jamie Dimon and Bernie Sanders, it's a tough needle to thread. Yeah, it is. And it's a good omen at a time when there aren't many that both that what Biden and Harris have in common is it has been hard for them to figure out how to land an attack on them directly. Yeah. Right. When you're comparing Kamala Harris to Bernie Sanders, you're trying to bank shot a criticism of Bernie Sanders. When you say that, oh, Joe Biden's lost a step, he's really going to be AOC pulling the levers. Right. Uh, you're really criticizing AOC because you don't have a criticism of Biden. So uh, maybe that's a hopeful note. Alyssa, any final thoughts? Thank you for your time. I know that... Uh, there are too many people looking to get your thoughts so many. on this vice presidential process. And you've, you've given us so many insights. But if you have one more to share before we go. Maybe Kamala should get a dog. <laughs> that's it. Get a dog, Kamala. Get a ca- that's, actually, that's get thing. a cat, Kamala. Get a no, cat. Yes. Let's, yes. Let's not, I want a cat are in we, the West Wing. A cat. Do you want to... Do you wanna, do you wanna, they're barely domesticated, <laughs> all right? They're just, they're just little predators. Well, you know uh, what? My advantage. cats can clearly tell that because this is the first podcast they have not come to try to be a part of. <laughs> Alyssa Mastermonico, thank you as always. Bye. When we come back, I'm going to quiz a listener about the Democratic plan, the Republican plan, and Trump's plan for how to respond to the economic crisis. Don't go anywhere. This is Love It or Leave It, and there's more on the way. All right, people, we all know the stakes of the 2024 election are high, whether it's keeping the Senate, taking back the House or stopping Republicans at the state level. If you're ready to make a real difference, sign up for Vote Save America's 2024 volunteer program. And just to make it interesting, we're pitting you against each other. Vote Save America will sort you onto a team east or west, and you'll compete with a community of other volunteers to maximize your impact on the ground with opportunities tailored to you and the causes you care about. The team with the highest volunteering staff could secure the biggest prize of all, the continuation of American democracy. Head to votesaveamerica.com slash 2024 now and get ready to organize or else. This message has been paid for by Vote Save America. You can learn more at votesaveamerica.com. And this ad has not been authorized by any candidate or candidates committee. And we're back. America is facing three crises at once. There is the battle to reimagine public safety in our cities. There is the worsening public health crisis thanks to the failed Trump response to the pandemic. And there is the economic crisis where America faces the highest rates of unemployment in a century, once again, thanks to the failed response to COVID-19. In the last month, Republicans stonewalled Democrats over a new round of relief and the Senate adjourned without reaching a deal. Then earlier this week, Trump issued a series of basically useless and in some cases unconstitutional executive orders that do almost nothing to fix the problem. So let's compare 
these plans in a game we're calling Democrats, Republicans, or a dotty old fascist. And here to play the game, we have Laura Petto. Hi. Laura, where are you from? I am from New Hampshire. You're from New Hampshire, and you're holding some kind of an animal there. Is that a cat? Yes, this is my kitten, Sophie, who is wearing an Elizabeth Warren persist collar. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Big structural mange. <laughs> That's the thing you got to watch out for. Yeah, I will. <laughs> All right. Well, Laura, how you doing, by the way? How's it going up there in New Hampshire? Doing okay? Yeah. I mean, we're doing pretty well up here. We've had zero cases in my town since May, so that's good. Well, that's good. That's good. Maybe your mayor isn't a QAnon believer, as you know, such as supports masks and so forth. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so here's how it works, Laura. I'm going to read a real fact about one of the plans, and you have to tell us if it's from the Democratic plan, the Republic plan, or if it's from the executive order signed by a dotty old fascist. Okay. Okay. Here we go. This plan would provide 16 billion for COVID testing. Democrat. No, Republican. This plan would provide 75 billion for COVID testing and contact tracing. Democrat. Correct. This plan would address unemployment by giving Americans $200 per week through September. Republican. Correct. This plan would address unemployment by guaranteeing Americans $300 a week by taking money from FEMA disaster relief, which could only last for like a month. Uh, fascist. Got it. This plan would address unemployment by continuing the $600 per week benefit until January. Democrat. Correct. This plan would freeze student loan payments and interest until the end of December. Democrat. No, dotty old fascist. You got one by you there. It's not the yeah. worst part of that. That one, that one I'm okay with. Let's just, let's just face it, you know? This plan would freeze all student loan payments and interest for a full year and provide $22 billion for student loan forgiveness. Democrat. Yeah. This plan would provide one-time stimulus checks of $1,200 to individuals and $2,400 to married couples plus $500 per dependent. Democrat. No, that's the Republican plan. This plan would provide a one-time stimulus check of $1,200 to individuals, $2,400 to married couples, and $1,200 per dependent. Democrat. Yeah. <laughs> the better one is the Democrats. That's the game. <laughs> Laura, look, sometimes what we do is hard, you know? Sometimes what we do is uh, the Democrats are better, you know? This plan doesn't provide stimulus checks, but it will make an attempt to defer payroll tax payments from September to December for people earning less than $100,000 per year. It's unclear if companies will comply with this, though, since they'd have to withhold huge amounts from their employees' paychecks all at once when taxes are due. It's also unclear how Medicare and Social Security will be funded without the payroll taxes, especially if this policy continues. Republican? Dotty old fascist from the EO. It's from the EO. It's, it's, it was covered as a payroll tax holiday, but it's not really a holiday. Like, I don't think you consider it a holiday if your boss is like, you can take today off, but you do have to work Christmas. Yeah. This plan would provide $105 billion in aid to schools, but two-thirds is set aside for elementary and secondary schools that would only get the money if they held in-person classes, meaning only schools that worsen the pandemic can get the pandemic relief. Fascist. Republicans, Republicans. He didn't even, he couldn't do anything for the schools. Uh, I'm next. doing so badly. <laughs> You're doing fine. Hey, Laura, hey, I don't think that's the persistence that you've been inspired to live up to based on a collar, based on a candidate. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this plan would provide $25 billion to defense contractors. Republican. Got it. This plan would provide $25 billion to save the Postal Service. Democrat. Correct. This plan includes $3.6 billion for states to ensure election safety and security and to facilitate voting by mail. Democrat. Correct. And finally, this plan includes $1.75 billion to construct a new FBI headquarters across from one of President Trump's hotels. Uh, fascist. No, it's, it's, he supports it. In fairness to you, Laura, he supports okay. it. But it's actually in the Republican proposal that they spend almost $2 billion uh, and it is $2 billion if you also include the fact that they want to renovate the West Wing. So they won't provide money for the post office or elections that are coming during this crisis, but they will invest in a renovated FBI building. Now, the FBI building, Laura, is very ugly. Have you seen the FBI building? No, I have not. Well, you should know that it sucks. It's a behemoth, and it's really not great. But if you had to choose between a safe election and a architecturally more satisfying FBI headquarters. To me, it's not a hard call. I don't know how you feel. Not a hard call at all. Laura and uh, Sophie, <laughs> you've won the game. So excited. Made my week. <laughs>
Um, what are you doing up there in New Hampshire these days? What's your day like? Walk me through a typical day. So I am getting my PhD in math. <gasps> I know, and you are a math major at Williams. Me, wait, what? Give me the give me the topic. What are we studying? What are we What are we proving? What are we working on? I work on inverse problems, specifically medical imaging. So getting from the data back to what I'm trying to reconstruct. So basically, you're trying to figure out ways to take an image. It gets broken down into data and then make it back into some kind of diagnostic tool, something you can read from the data. What are you trying to do? When there's an inverse problem, whether it's in medical imaging, if you get an ultrasound, the data they collect is not an image. It's like sound waves or something like that, depending on what application, it's an MRI and ultrasound. And so basically, you have to go from the data to figure out what underlying image reproduced it. The idea of my thesis is how to use methods in optimization and Bayesian statistics to improve the accuracy of the image you reconstruct. The data isn't the image. The image is the image. The data is a representation of the image. And you are trying to say, how faithfully can we make sure that the image the data creates has fidelity yes. to the original image that is not recorded anywhere? It's You're kind of yes. imagining what a perfect version of the data might be. Yes. Is that right? That is exactly it. I do error modeling, trying to model what the most likely error is. I know you were a math major. I don't know if you took like anything with Fourier analysis or anything like that. I'll tell you this much. If I did, it's gone. Anyway, so basically trying to model the entire process using the knowledge that you're not actually collecting what you want to collect, if that makes any sense. How, how are algorithms doing? Um, I'm still a PhD student, so my algorithms aren't as good as people who've been working in like this for 20 or 25 years, but I feel like they're pretty good and they're really amazing at being able to predict the amount of error that you're going to have. Interesting. Yeah. It's really cool. I, I don't totally understand what you're working on, but it was fun to try to figure out if I could get it because I haven't <laughs> done hard math in a long time. And if, uh, Frank Morgan, my thesis advisor is listening, I did my best. I, I'm trying. Laura Petto. What a delight. Thank you. Bye. When we come back, I'll be joined by Ben Rhodes. Hey, don't go anywhere. There's more of Love It or Leave It coming up. All right, people, we all know the stakes of the 2024 election are high, whether it's keeping the Senate, taking back the House, or stopping Republicans at the state level. If you're ready to make a real difference, sign up for Vote Save America's 2024 volunteer program. And just to make it interesting, we're pitting you against each other. Vote Save America will sort you onto a team east or west, and you'll compete with a community of other volunteers to maximize your impact on the ground with opportunities tailored to you and the causes you care about. The team with the highest volunteering staff could secure the biggest prize of all, the continuation of American democracy. Head to votesaveamerica.com slash 2024 now and get ready to organize or else. This message has been paid for by Vote Save America. You can learn more at votesaveamerica.com. And this ad has not been authorized by any candidate or candidate's committee. And we're back. He is the former deputy national security advisor under President Barack Obama, co-host of Pod Save the World, and host of Crooked's brand new podcast, Missing America, which is out right now. Please welcome back to the show for a segment we call Old Town Roads because it was our first idea. And we just gave up. <laughs> ben Rhodes. It's good to be on a socially distanced love it or leave it. Yeah. No, it's nice to see you again. Yeah. I mean, the last time we did this show, it was at the, I believe, the comedy store. There were humans there. I remember that for sure. And uh, we said to ourselves, uh, let's just hope that a big crisis doesn't uh, happen between now and the election. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so... I want to talk about the, the new podcast because I've listened and it's really fantastic and everybody should subscribe to Missing America. But first, a bunch of big foreign policy stories from this week. And I just want to kind of give people a rundown on each of them. So first, Trump is lauding an announcement about diplomatic relations between Israel and the UAE. What happened and what do you think? What was announced is that the UAE and Israel plan to normalize relations, establish formal diplomatic relations, which they don't have which could open up space for things like flights and additional commerce between Israel and the UAE. In response, Israel said it's suspending plans to annex a chunk of the West Bank, which would have been a very bad thing to do in any circumstance. And Trump decided and declared that he should get the Nobel Peace Prize. Um, <laughs> look, uh, let's uh, st stepping back for just a quick summary of what I think has happened here. And 
I, I apologize for my cynicism. It's, it's an unalloyed good thing if Israel normalizes relations with more Arab countries, in addition to Jordan and, and Egypt and, and Morocco. That said, uh, the UAE and Israel have had pretty close relations anyway for a long time, dating back certainly to when we were in the Obama administration. In fact, some of their closeness was coordinating their opposition to the Iran nuclear deal. But they've drawn closer over the years. So this kind of advances, I think, what was the de facto uh, in the region. And it does nothing to actually achieve the real peace that needs to happen, which is the Palestinian state. Uh, and in fact, the Palestinians were entirely cut out of this. So the leader of the UAE, Mohammed bin Zayed, um, gets to do something that helps his buddy Donald Trump uh, in the White House. Bibi Netanyahu does something that, frankly, also helps Donald Trump, you know, gives him a win before the election. Also, frankly, they do something that helps consolidate their own position and doesn't really help advance the cause of peace for the Palestinians, in my view. If somehow this magically opens up a pathway to a broader peace, that's great. Otherwise, I think it's something that essentially ratifies what has been somewhat of the status quo in the Middle East for some time now. Yeah, I mean, when I saw the statement, I just said, oh, okay, seems like Bibi's doing a favor for Trump so that yeah. Trump has a retweet. Like, practically, there's no actual other changes that are going to happen because of this. Yeah, I mean, there, there could be like, you know, flights from Tel Aviv to Abu Dhabi and Dubai and, and again, some increased tourism and commerce. But that's really the direction things have been going anyway with the, the, right. the Emiratis and Israel is not the core of the problem in the Middle East. It's a lot of other things, including Israel and the Palestinians. And, and so the, the, the fanfare around this that Trump will build up, you know, is, is all about Trump. And I think for NBC, who's been under a lot of pressure from Democrats because of their war in Yemen that has killed so many people, their support for Mohammed bin Salman, frankly, their opposition to the Democratic Party and embrace of Trump. This is also a bit of a hedge for MBZ, you know, uh, because Democrats will want to welcome this deal because it's good for Israel. In the same way that Netanyahu, who's under huge protest in Israel because of his handling of coronavirus, he was not going to be able to proceed with annexation given the current environment in Israel. So he didn't really give up anything and he got something, at least something symbolic. And, you know, that's about what this is. It's not much more than that. So next topic. So like your podcast, there's just so much happening. Yeah. Your podcast is about right-wing nationalism uh, and authoritarianism in the U.S. but around the world and some of the lessons that we can draw from some of the efforts to push back. You know, we're seeing in Belarus right now an authoritarian trying to hold on to power in the wake of mass protests after a clearly fraudulent election result. Uh, what are you taking away from what's happening right now in Belarus and what are the lessons for us as we headed to an election with a kind of whatever improv authoritarian uh, who's watching closely as well? Well, I mean, the lesson I take away is that people around the world are completely fed up with a very particular brand of authoritarianism, John. It's rooted in corruption, basically all these leaders who enrich themselves to stay in power so they can further enrich themselves and repress their own people. And this kind of nationalist brand of authoritarianism that we see across you know, the West and frankly around the world. And what you see is people are fed up, like all of Belarus basically came out. They've never had protests like this. Of course, the leader cracks down, he ignores it, but they're still not giving up. There are general strikes happening in Belarus. Like, so you've got a guy who declared victory with a totally fabricated 80% rough election result. You've got a population that's rejecting it. And I think it's kind of emblematic of what's happening in a lot of places around the world, which is there's growing mobilization and disgust with this brand of leadership. And then the, these leaders desperately trying to cling on. And I frankly think that even if he may weather this storm, it's an indication that time is beginning to run out on, on this playbook. Uh, so then also this week, the Office of the Director of National Intelligence released a statement. Basically, turns out Robert Draper, a great reporter for the New York Times, was sort of beating them the door of the administration saying, uh, we're hearing reports of Russian interference. We're hearing reports of Russian interference. Right before his story comes out, they put out this statement uh, from the Trump administration that basically says, yes, Russia is looking to interfere in our election, but so is China. So is Iran. You know, it's a big problem on both sides, though it's very clear based on what senators like Dick Blumenthal uh, have said, who's part of the Intelligence Committee, who's seen uh, some of this information. Uh, it's pretty clear based on what we're hearing that this is a way to give Trump cover. And the real issue remains sophisticated efforts by Russia to interfere in our election that are not on par with anything any other country are doing. Uh, what do you think that uh, members of Congress should be doing? And what do you think the Biden campaign should be doing right now in the wake of these sort of semi-revelations? Well, I mean, first of all, reject it, the statement from the director of national intelligence is total bullshit because 
the creating of both sides between Russia's systematic, multifaceted assault on our democracy on behalf of Donald Trump and routine Chinese propaganda against U.S. policy. It's not about electing, you know, Joe Biden or anybody else. That's just not the same thing. But they're setting up this playbook where they can say that everybody's doing it. It's helping both parties. Frankly, if Biden wins, I guarantee you the Republicans will try to turn Chinese intervention, Iranian intervention in our election into the new Russia investigation so they can, you know, engage in their own conspiracy theorizing for years. I think Democrats have to call it out. Democrats have to tell people what to expect is going to happen. Tell people, here are the arguments you're going to hear, and this is why it's bullshit. Frankly, publicize information. I'm tired of hearing Democrats about how troubled they are about the briefings they're getting. Just tell us already what yeah. you know. At least, at the very least, fucking threaten it. Yeah. Say I'm going to go to the Senate floor and tell the people what they know. I'm allowed. I am constitutionally protected. I can go to the Senate floor and I can tell people the truth. At least threaten it. Like, really threaten it. That's right. And Because what, what are they... You know, the only reason to not reveal something is it gives up sources and methods of intelligence gathering. I think the Russians are aware, you know, that we're, we're watching this stuff. But, John, I'm going to connect the three segments right now. <laughs> um, Holy, so it's uh, OK. Because what, <laughs> what what is happening in the world? You have a collection of autocratic, corrupt leaders who will do anything to keep themselves in power. And they have overlapping interests. Right. So Mohammed bin Zayed and the Emirates and Bibi Netanyahu in Israel, they're helping each other out and helping out their buddy Donald Trump. Vladimir Putin is helping out Donald Trump. Donald Trump is silent about Lukashenko in Belarus, who's also a very close ally of Vladimir Putin. This is not a grand conspiracy theory, by the way. I'm not suggesting that there's some puppet master that's Putin behind everything. It's just a plain fact that there's a bunch of nationalist corrupt authoritarians who are running all these places and don't want things to change because the current system allows them to get rich and be in power. And if one of the dominoes start to fall, they know that publics around the world might get hip to the fact that maybe we can get rid of these guys. That's the common thread. And it's also what informs, I think, you know, the podcast, obviously, that we're going to talk about. So uh, let's talk about the podcast because, uh, you know, I've heard the first couple of episodes and I do, I appreciate you linking these things together because it is you trying to kind of tell a story to help us understand what led to this moment and then some of the the tools and ideas and people who are kind of showing how we can combat right-wing nationalism, populism here at home around the world. So what should people know about the podcast? Well, that's the thing is, you know, I traveled a lot over the last several years and I frankly just kind of started recording interviews a couple of years ago with people around the world because I found that they were dealing with the same crap that we were. You know, nationalism, authoritarianism, disinformation, this kind of corruption infecting politics everywhere. And kind of what I found is we could learn a bit about what was happening to ourselves by looking about what was happening in other places. And we could also learn a bit about what to do about it. So the next episode, which is, I think, pretty central to the series, that drops next week is about nationalism in Europe. And the story that is told is essentially after the financial crisis in 2008, essentially the collapse of confidence in globalization and democracy and liberal democracy, there was a bit of a crisis of meaning inside of Western countries. People had given up faith in their institutions, and the people who filled that space were nationalists, right-wing nationalists who came along and offered people a sense of belonging to a team, the winning team, the us versus them team. The us is whoever the the white people are in that country, or the white kind of Christian people in Hungary uh, or in Russia, and the them are immigrants or Muslims or George Soros or John Lovett, you know, and, you know, essentially that, that kind of powerful, potent story is behind Brexit, it's behind Viktor Orban in Hungary, it's behind Donald Trump. But you see people mobilizing in response to that. And you see in Europe some interesting tactics, people really going local and building grassroots movements, people using technology and new ways of organizing, and people trying to find different politics that offer people meaning in standing up to this brand of nationalism and, and kind of reclaiming their national identities from the autocrats. And that's, I think, what we're going to have to do in our election. And that's what America is going to have to try to stand for in the world if we have a change in president. I, I do think that that democratic primary politics has at least obliquely been trying to grapple with some of these questions, right? Like, how do we answer nationalism? How do we answer mistrust? How do we answer a lack of faith in institutions? Do you think that Democrats are doing enough to internalize some of these lessons from around the world? What do you think? 
I think we need to do more. And in the podcast, you'll hear kind of the people who will probably be in charge of foreign policy for Biden. But you hear from a lot of progressive activists and political leaders around the world who, in some ways, it's easier for them to acknowledge just how broken everything had gotten. Yeah. Because they're not American, you know? And, and in many ways, the collapse of uh, an unraveling of a world order we built is harder for us to accept. But I think if you look at the Democratic Party, what I find that's really interesting, John, when you think about this is there are elements of the key voices in the primary that are each right. Bernie's critique of what's gone wrong is, I think, the most accurate, <laughs> you know, that essentially failures of late stage capitalism and the emptiness and corruption of our politics has made people really angry. And Bernie gives voice to that. At the same time, I think the whole soul of the nation thing shouldn't be overlooked either, that you have to have politicians who, who offer some form of, of national identity to people. Yeah. And, and yet there was this gap. And I, I find, and we talk about this on the podcast, the thing that is filling the gap to me is the Black Lives Matter movement. Because that's about fighting for a different form of national identity that has a policy agenda attached to it, but also has something more fundamental about what do we think it means to be American? What's our story in the world? And, and one point we show in the podcast is that movement spawned movements in other countries. And the irony of where we find ourselves, John, is that all these right-wing authoritarian nationalists we talked about, they've been coordinating for years. They have common yeah. sources of financing, common strategies of politics. And progressives need to do that too. Not just the U.S. government, but progressives, I think, at a movement level have to be connected and learn from one another around the world. There's a connection that's, I think, been drawn fairly just because in practice this has been true, that the politicians most often talking about the kind of core emotional needs, the, the lack of dignity people feel in our system, the lack of agency are those people like Bernie who have talked about that. But, you know, you put aside the center left policies, uh, you also feel in the kind of rhetoric of the center left for a long time, there really was a failure to account for the pain people felt, the lack of dignity people felt, even when the economy was growing, even when people felt as though things economically were working, that there was something missing when we talk about a, a society with such giant corporations having such influence over people's lives, the kind of decline of small businesses, the decline of manufacturing, there's a failure to reckon with the change that was happening. And it seems like maybe now, finally, Democratic politicians are kind of acknowledging that change in some way. Yeah. And if, and if you look at the episodes we do in the podcast, kind of take on these forces that are so big, disinformation, climate change, the, these kind of fallout, like you said, the wreckage of, yeah. of how globalization has, has created so many losers relative to winners. I think sometimes it's hard for progressives to understand why that would lead people to the right, and not to the left, because it seems like, you know, the economic structure is screwing everybody. So you should become a populist of the left. But I think what it means is when people have nowhere to turn, they're just more vulnerable to these appeals to nationalism. They're more vulnerable to say the Chinese are offering more prosperity in exchange for giving up all your freedoms. Well, maybe that's a more attractive model. And I think it's a matter of progressives having to realize that it's not enough to be right about policy, just as it's not enough to be right about your basic story. Like you need that whole package in a way that can appeal to people and can win these political fights, uh, you know, in the streets and in, in the ballot box. Uh, well, everybody, please subscribe to Missing America. You won't regret it. It does an incredible job of connecting all of these sort of disparate elements domestically and around the world. Ben, thank you so much for joining us. It was awesome, John. Good talking to you. When we come back, we'll end on a high note. Don't go anywhere. This is Love It or Leave It, and there's more on the way. On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, bad dirt. What makes bad dirt so bad? The answer, the ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed in garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like bad dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers. And we're back. Because we all need it this week, here it is, this week's Hide Note, submitted by you, the listener. Hi, I love it. This is Monica from Delaware, about 10 minutes from the Biden cave. And my high note was that my son took his first step. We've brought him to so many marches in his stroller, and it's really amazing to think that now he'll be marching with me, helping to make the future better for him. So I'm really excited for that. Hey, love it. It's Austin in Arizona. My friend just won his primary race uh, last week to be the mayor of the town that I live in. We are so excited that he's doing that. And he beat the establishment candidate. He's running as a progressive. 
uh, and it's just really awesome to see. Hey, love it. This is Morgan from Brandon, Florida. I just finished a contactless canvas. It is 93 degrees out in Brandon, and we delivered uh, literature to 500 voters in this district for a local candidate, Andrew Lernis. He's running in District 59. Um, really excited to get out here again next week and do it again while listening to Love It or Leave It. I love it. This is Rebecca in Ohio, and my high note this week is that the teen-led youth movement I work for just launched our campaign to get teens involved in the election, registering voters, getting people to sign up as poll workers, and a lot of other great things. The response already has been overwhelming, and I'm really excited to see how teens can change the face of the election. Thanks. Thanks, everybody, who submitted a high note. If you want to leave us a message about something that gave you hope, you can call us at 424-341-4193. And I'm so grateful to everybody who has sent them in over the past uh, months. They've been, uh, been really nice. We have 80 days until the election. Sign up for Vote Save America right now to elect Joe Biden and Kamala Harris to keep the House to win back the Senate. Thank you to Sashir Zameda, Alyssa Mastromonaco, and Ben Rhodes for joining us. Thank you to our grocery workers, truck drivers, delivery people, restaurant workers and flight attendants, teachers, administrators, everybody who is working right now. Thank you to our doctors and nurses and EMTs and first responders. And thank you to our whole staff working to keep this show going out and Crooked going strong. Love It or Leave It is a Crooked Media production. It is written and produced by me, John Lovett, Elisa Gutierrez, Lee Eisenberg, and our head writer and the president of the East Sider Biden writers, Travis Helwick. Jocelyn Kaufman, Alicia Carroll, and Peter Miller are the writers. Our assistant producer is Sydney Rapp. Bill Lance is our editor, and Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer. Our theme song is written and performed by Sure Sure. Thanks to our designers, Jesse McLean and Jamie Skeel, for creating and running all of our visuals, which you can't see because this is a podcast. And to our digital producers, Narm Elkonian and Milo Kim, for filming and editing video each week so you can. Sofas, recliners, love seats, everything is better in leather. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley, where bold meets durable. And wait a minute, who's been finger painting on the couch again? That's okay. Leather is easy to clean. The new leather collection at Ashley is built with the durability you need for the whole family. Yes, pets too. Luxury is meant to be livable. Shop chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home.